Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Well, listen, if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here. Um, there is a, uh, a little card in the seat back pocket in front of you. It's a con- connect card. If you would fill that out and put it um, in the, you can just turn it into the welcome center there in the back. We have a little gift for you. We want to give you that's a little bit of information about our church, what we believe and whatnot. So uh, make sure you do that. Fill that card out. Take it to the welcome center. You can grab one of those. Um, and uh, we're just so thankful that you're here this morning to worship with us. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to make sure you have the Word of God in your lap so that you can follow along. Um, I, I can forget guys that I know really good, their names and stuff, so you might want to have a Bible in front of you. I'm just saying. So Matthew chapter 23, if you need one, raise your hand, lift it up high. We'll make sure you get one. Here's one here. Um, and uh, give you the Word of God. So once you're there, stand with me. We're going to read the first few verses of Matthew chapter 23. This is a uh, scathing rebuke to Jesus where he is dealing with the religious leaders of Israel that have totally train wrecked God's plan for Israel. They have gone completely astray and they are living in a completely different world than the world that God had created them to live in. And so oftentimes that can happen to us. So there is something that we can learn from, what, from this chapter, even though that he's speaking to religious leaders. Yeah, he can speak to our religious hearts today. So hear the word of the Lord, verse 1 of Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but, do not, uh, but not the works that they do, for they preach but knew not practice. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, what an introduction to what it is that you're about to say. Honor the position that you've instituted, and yet do not follow the people in the position. Lord, help our hearts today to hear what it is that your spirit would say to us. We're following you in a religious manner in any way, Lord. Convict our hearts. Help us to see hypocrisy in our lives, Lord. To see the things that we can't see because we're blinded to them, Lord. We ask you by your spirit that you would speak directly into every heart here today. We know that's your desire, but may we have open hearts and open minds, Lord. May we have open ears to hear what your word would say to us this morning. Lord, we sit bare and naked before you. We're not fooling you. You know us. We thank you for the grace that you've given us through Jesus. Now, transform us, Lord. Continue to make us more like him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, if you are a fan of the hit TV series, The Walking Dead, then you... uh, that's not what we're going to be talking about this morning, but that is the title of my message, The Walking Dead. We are talking about those people who are yet alive, but they are still dead. They are, from a spiritual standpoint, they may be living out the life of what a spiritual person would look like, and yet they are spiritually dead inside. Jesus is addressing 
the religious leaders of Israel, yes, but he's addressing the crowd as well. He's addressing anyone who is not in relationship, who is seeking God. Even in the Old Testament, guys, you have to understand that it was relationship that God was seeking, not religion. He was not seeking for you, uh, for the people in that time period, to just bring sacrifices and just to, uh, you know, make offerings to God in an external format with no heart connection to it. It was meant to be relational. You were meant to bring your sacrifice to the Lord in a relationship, not in religion. There are those in our world today that come to the altar of Christ, to the foot of the cross, religiously. And Jesus would say that you're still dead. If you're coming to him in in the format of being religious and you have no relationship with Christ, the Lord would say to you this morning, come to me in relationship. Bow your knee to the Savior and don't try and earn your righteousness. You can't do it. That's what he's going to say to these guys here. There are two divisions of this chapter. I've divided it into two. The First, we find the warning regarding the walking dead and the woes of the walking dead. We begin with the warning that Jesus is speaking to the crowd and to his disciples. And he says this to them in verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. You know the old adage, practice what you preach. It's important that you practice what you preach. If you don't, what is it called? Hypocrisy. Hypocrite. That's what Jesus will call these guys. Continually, over and over again, he'll say, you are hypocrites. You're spiritual actors. You play the part, but you are in your hearts far from me. You draw near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. It's acting. Man, could they get an Oscar for the way that they live their lives out. Yet Jesus would say, it's a pity because they will also be forever, you know, shunned from heaven as a result. You can't go to heaven on your own. You need Jesus. Notice it says here that, here's, here's the funny thing, is they just got done addressing Jesus on his authority What authority do you do and say these things, Jesus? And here's the thing. He now addresses them and the authority that they are operating under. He says that they are sitting on the seat of Moses. Who's Moses? Moses is God's man. He'd been the bringer of the law. He went to Mount Sinai. He received the law. He brought it down to the people. He not only brought the law to the people, but he upheld the law to the people. When you're considering Moses' seat, you're talking about the spokesperson of God. You're talking about the person that would, that would come and they would bring the weight of the law. They would explain the law. They would interpret and they would apply the law. Jesus is saying, uh, you know, these guys were sitting in the seat of Moses. Every synagogue in, in Israel has a seat of Moses. They have a stone seat back in this day and age that the, the teacher would sit on and he would bring the word. When Jesus was, uh, you know, when he taught in a synagogue, he would sit in that seat and he would bring the word. The teacher sat, the people stood. Pretty awesome. I like that. But the seat represented the authority of God. So what was being spoken 
was, uh, you know, to be received by the people. They perceived the, the, the occupant of the seat as the spokesperson of God. But Jesus, notice what he says. Although they sit in the seat, observe what they tell you to, but do not practice what they preach. What is he talking about? Well, see, the reality of the person that occupies the seat of Moses is that they are called to be appointed by God to that position. These scribes and Pharisees weren't appointed by God. They were appointed by man. They were sitting in the seat of Moses unlawfully. They had not been appointed by, by, by God to sit in that seat. And yet God still says, honor the position. There are those in the world today that are so disenchanted with the church because of pastors that are in pulpits that are not appointed by God. And they say things and they do things that are contrary to the Word of God. They even bring, you know, direct, um, you know, contradictions to God's Word and say, this is God. God says that it's okay to be this way now when His Word says no. Those people are not appointed by God when they begin to speak on uh, their own behalf, when they bring, you know, man-centered stuff to the pulpit. You have to be appointed by God. I didn't choose to be a pastor. In fact, when I, uh, you know, became a Christian, I didn't choose to be anything. I just chose to be a follower of Christ. And anybody that knows that, that, that has a calling on their life, that had a calling on their life, and, and has received that, understands that it's not something you seek out. It's something that God just does. You're not, you're not going through the, you know, the religious uh, uh, structure to try and get to a position that you're trying to achieve like cor the corporate ladder. That's not the way it works in the church. You sit at the feet of, of the Lord and he, he appoints you to something. And here's what I would tell you this morning is you are appointed to something. What has God appointed you to? What has he appointed you to? Because he doesn't appoint people to come to church and do nothing. He appoints us to be part of the body, to be equipped by the church, and then to go out and to be his missionaries. Listen, anybody who says they're not called to be a missionary doesn't understand the Great Commission because we are called to be missionaries. But the reality of the offices of the church, they're to be appointed. They're to be by God. I re remember when my pastor ordained me, he told me, he told the, our, our church that, hey, I'm not... I'm not I'm not doing anything to Tim. I'm honoring what God has already done in his life. The, the appointment had already been set. I was simply receiving that publicly before people. And he was acknowledging what God did in my life. These Pharisees and these scribes, they received the seat of Moses by some you know, man-centered way, whether it was because of somebody they knew, the family they grew up in, whatever the case might be. But here's what you have to understand is these guys sat at the feet of rabbis during this time as they were growing up. So you wouldn't just pop into a pulpit like, you know, today you can start up a church, you know, down the street. It's no big deal. You would be schooled in, uh, you know, the doctrine of, of the Jews and you would sit at a feet of some teacher. And once you were raised up to a period of time, then maybe you would go sit in some synagogue and become a, you know, the, the whatever, the priest or whatever of that synagogue. Uh, but, the, but Jesus says here, He's telling these guys, even though they are not appointed, honor the position. Honor the position because what they are speaking is God's word. Not, he's not, he, understand, he's not, a, um, you know, upholding the, the, the oral law. 
of the Jews. He's not saying that the, the Mishnah, if you know what that is, it's a collection of writings that basically take the 613 commands and they break them down into ridiculous, I mean ridiculous religious practices. Women, you can't brush your hair out on the Sabbath because that's considered work. You know, just stupid stuff. They got so legalistic in it. Jesus is not acknowledging that. What he is saying is when they speak the word of God, observe it. Not their, the things they do, but what God's word says. Listen, it doesn't matter who speaks the word. The word is the word. And it is from God. And it is to be upheld. And it is the standard. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says about it. It is what we look to. It is our guide. It is the, it is the thing we submit to. We don't submit to the world. And what the world says about how we're supposed to be, we submit to the word of God. And it doesn't matter who's speaking it. There are, you know, teachers in the world today that you go, man, that guy's a false teacher. And yet Jesus would say to those people, observe what he says when when he says the word, but don't practice what he preaches. Observe the word because we're to honor God's word. They, are, they were to observe what they said, but they were not to practice what they preached because they were hypocritical. These guys would, would take the word of God and they would apply it in, in very, very, diff, very um, you know, heavy ways on people. They would put burdens upon people they themselves wouldn't even live up to. They were not honoring God's word in and of themselves. They were hypocritical. Here's the thing is if your life doesn't match up to God's word, what's the right thing to do? Stop quoting his word? No, we're to make our lives live up to the word. We don't stop quoting the word. So in other words, if the Lord speaks to you about something this morning and he's saying you're hypocritical in this area, which he may because <laughs> he did that to me a couple times, but uh, you know, we won't talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about you guys. But um, so, you know, the reality is, is that if the Lord speaks to you in that way, he's not saying <laughs> don't learn more of my word. He's saying, start to live it. Start to live my word. We have to remain open to the word all the time, guys. Because there is a hypocrite in all of us, believe it or not. You know, the Bible, or, you know, the, the Bible, the people in the world say that the, the church is full of hypocrites. That is true to some degree. But they can join it and they'll be just like all the rest of us because they are too. It's, it's really hypocrisy to, to use that as an excuse, actually. But here's the thing is, we have to be open to the Spirit of God and the Word of God when we come before Him. We're to be changing constantly, man. I don't care if you've been walking with the Lord for 50, 60 years. You don't want to be religious about it. You want to be relational. You want to walk in the Word. And when the Lord tells you that you're not practicing what you preach, then you start to practice what you preach. Parents, listen up. Your kids hear the words you say, and they watch your actions. They hear your words, and they watch your life. If you're telling them, oh, yeah, you need to read your Bible, you know, 16-year-old son or daughter or whatever, you need to read your, the Word, and they don't ever see you read the Word. What is that? Hypocrisy. Do, do as I say, not as I do. Hey, you need to make God the center of your life, and yet you don't. That's hypocrisy. Guess who they're learning from? From us. It's a heavy thing to be a parent, man. Is a very heavy thing because your kids are watching you. Now, they will stand before the Lord and give an account for their life eventually. But you will give an account as well as a parent. It's a heavy thing, man. 
is something that we ought to take seriously. I got four, four guys that I'm going to be given an account for when I stand before the Lord. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to do what I say. If you come into the church and you focus on the hypocrisy of people, it will derail your walk with Jesus. It will. That's why the Bible tells us to fix your eyes on Jesus because he's perfect. He's the one we're following. We're not following a man. We're not following a woman. We're not following a system. We're following Jesus Christ. If you take your eyes off Jesus, it will derail your walk. Keep your eyes on Jesus as you, you know, live out this life because there is hypocrisy, but that is no excuse. The Lord is who we follow. He tells, us, he tells these people, listen to what they say when it relates to the Word of God and do that, but don't do what they do. Don't over-exaggerate the law. Live it out. He goes on. He, he, he calls their hypocrisy out on the table. He says in verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear. And they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. Man, these guys burden down. The picture is like a mule. If you've ever been to India or you've seen pictures of, you know, third world countries, and they pack these animals down to, I mean, I'm talking like, you know, 10, 20 feet high, you know, just stacked up with stuff. How does a person even get stuff up there? You know, are they like third story stacking stuff on these things? You look at them, you're like, holy cow, that thing is like, you know, barely able to walk. It's so burdened. That's the picture of the law. That's what they were doing to the people. They were loading them up with all these religious burdens. You've got to do it this way. You've got to do it. They were overtaxing to the people to the point that there was no joy in them serving the Lord. If you find yourself here today and you've lost your joy, perhaps you're, you have burdens on your shoulders that you ought not to. Perhaps you're trying to live out some, some path that God isn't calling you on. It doesn't mean that the path he calls you on it won't be hard. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is maybe you've taken on burden that doesn't belong to you. The Lord is saying, no, that's not your burden. You have actually taken a burden that doesn't belong to you if you feel that way anyways. Because what does Jesus tell us? Where does the burden belong? Any burden on him. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That was the picture. Understand in the Old Testament, the sacrifices that were being brought, the burdens were being laid upon the, the altar, upon the sacrifice. And yet the religious leaders would say, that's great that you sacrifice, but you better be doing this, 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 and this as well. Like the sacrifice wasn't enough. And even after Jesus had died and rose again from the dead, there were Judaizers that were coming into the church saying the same thing. The blood of Christ is not enough. Guess what? The saga continues. There are people in our day and age that say the same thing. Oh, they might not say it outwardly, but the way that they teach the Bible, the things that they say, they're saying the blood of Christ is not sufficient. You have to do something. You've got to do more. They're burdening you. Jesus said, Jesus said that we have a yoke to put on, but it's his yoke. It's not man's yoke. It's not the yoke of the law. He took the yoke on for you. The yoke that you put on now has been... Uh, it's, a, it's an easy yoke. It's, the burden is light on the yoke. The work that he's called you to, he will equip you to do. It's not even something that you have to do on your own. Something that he's doing for you. 
Jesus did all the heavy lifting for you. He did it. He fulfilled the law completely for you. That doesn't mean we abandon what the Bible says about how we're to live because that would be contrary to the word of Christ. He said, you, you are my disciples if you, do, if you do what I command. If you follow me. So here's the deal. The religious leaders are burdening the people and Jesus says that's not the way it was meant to be. These guys are hypocritical in the way that they're living. Verse 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They, they, again, they were Oscar award winning actors. They played the part and they dressed it well. They had phylacteries. These phylacteries are, are, are leather pouches that they would put straps on and they would tie to their head. They would tie to their left arm. The reason the left arm is because it's closest to the heart. That they were getting really literal with the word of God. They were saying, oh man, we've got we've to bind the word of God to, the, to our foreheads and to our arms according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. It says this, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. That was not literal, but they made it literal and, and then they made it like super spiritual. So, so they made the phylacteries bigger. And they wore them longer. Normally, well, by the way, they, never even, they weren't even instituted until like 400 B.C. during the intertestament period when God wasn't even speaking to Israel through a prophet or anything. But they started to institute uh, this, this idea of wearing phylacteries, which was pagan at the time. Actually, they, they did it, you know, the pagans used these things as charms. So Israel goes, hey, that's pretty cool. Hey, there's a scripture. Well, let's just do that. It's awesome, right? Wrong. Wrong. They think that the literal... The literalness of, of, you know, binding the word on their foreheads and on their arms was going to literally make them righteous. And it wasn't at all. In fact, if you go to Israel today, you will see people at the wailing wall. That's generally when they wear the frontlets and the, 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 the phylacteries. At the wailing wall, when they're praying, they cover, they got their shawls with the tassels and all that stuff. And they're doing this whole thing. And they're, you know, the men and the women are separated. They're still doing this today. They're still doing it today. It's a tradition of man. It's not, not literal. It wasn't to be that way. They weren't even doing it until, like I said, they came back from the Babylonian captivity. And yet, they were finding righteousness in this thing. And Jesus said, man, you guys love to look the part. You love to walk around with your big phylacteries all day long. You're like, look at man, the, the scripture absorbing in my mind. I'm so spiritual. Check me out. Look at how big my phylactery is, man. We what? Check out the size of my tassels, man. Look at these things. They're so long, man. You are so spiritual. Again, they took something that God was meant to be, you know, that something God meant to remind them of the law, and it became a law for them. In Numbers chapter 15, verses 38 through 40, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout the generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel on each corner and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commands of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which, are, which you are inclined to whore after, so you remember, so shall you remember to do all my commands and to be holy to your God. What was the point? Not to look spiritual. The point of it was to remind yourself that there's a law 
and that there's a God who will judge people based on that law and that I'm to live according to that law. It wasn't meant to be some super spiritual thing that people do. And yet they made it that way. They made it a a legalistic practice rather than a practical thing that God had instituted to remind them. There are things that we do in the church in the same manner, guys. Basic things. You know, the Pharisees, there are modern-day Pharisees in our, in our churches today that, that fast X amount of times a week and that, that read X amount of chapters of the Bible every week and they memorize X amount of scriptures and, and they have this whole system down and it's all re- re- religious. I have a buddy that was um, um, played in, in the NFL and he, um, you know, when he was you know, at different times when he was partying with the guys and all that kind of stuff, he was, um, he would like break out of the party at like 7 o'clock because that was religiously when he read his Bible. He'd go in the bathroom. All his buddies are, you know, doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing out in the other rooms and he's reading his Bible at 7 o'clock and goes back out and joins them. That is not relational. That is religious practice. And people do that all the time. Maybe you do that. You're stuck in your routine and you're like, I'm reaching God this way. Oh God, I didn't and you're convicted because you weren't able to pray, you know, for the 30 minutes that you, you know, had been in routine to pray or you won't, haven't been reading your Bible like you should and you're going, God, you don't love me the way that you do if I would do these things, right? Wrong. All of that stuff is great in the right format. But it's just as harmful to do it in the wrong way. What I mean is that if you're coming to God thinking that your relationship with Him is based on what you're doing, then you're really going to get discouraged because you can't measure up. And so what's going to happen is you're going to put all these burdens on yourself like what's happening here, and you're going to get so discouraged that you're going to go, man, this is too hard. I can't do it. And there have been many, many people that have done that, that have walked out of a church for the last time saying, this is too hard. It's not too hard. It's hard, but it's not too hard. Because Jesus has given you a yoke that is light. and He's given you a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. And if you're not feeling that, then maybe you need to address some things before the Lord this morning. Say, Lord, what am I doing that makes me feel burdened? What am I doing that is overwhelming me? The Pharisees were all show. They were all show. He goes on in verse 6, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The scribes and Pharisees, they were so prideful. They wanted to be served by everybody else. They wanted to be honored by everybody else. They totally missed what the Word said about what they were called to be. Humble. Humble servants. A true servant of God isn't looking to make a name for himself at all. A true servant of God is looking to exalt Jesus. He's exalt the Lord and the Lord alone. In fact, you fade to the back. You're not looking to, you know, exalt yourself in any way. There are people in our, in our world today that are so suck on titles, you know. Oh, well, you could just call me doctor so-and-so. You know, you can call me, you know, whatever. I mean, 
go ahead and call me Reverend if you don't mind. That would be preferable to me because that makes me feel better about myself. So, you know, whatever. We're not, we're not into titles. Jesus wasn't into titles. God put titles in the Bible for a reason. And so, you know, you don't, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but here's the deal. Is that in this day and age, these guys wanted to be honored by man. So much so that, you know, when they had parties or feasts or whatever, they would sit at a triclinium table, which is basically a U-shaped table. The person that sat in the middle of that table was the most important person. That's why Jesus sat there. And remember, who wanted to sit on the right and the left of Jesus? James and John. Oh, Jesus, just give us the right and the left. Why? Because the way that it would work is by, matter, uh, by, by position of importance, the people would go out from the left and the right, from the center, out to the end. So the people at the end, they were practically nobodies. But the people closest to the center, they were somebody. These guys wanted to sit in the center. They wanted to sit in the seat of Jesus. Honor me. And then as they were honored in that way, then they would go out into the marketplaces and they would expect people to address them in very formal ways. Oh, Rabbi, so-and-so, it's you. Oh, you're so holy, you know. And, and this whole thing of, of calling them rabbi. Now, it's not, what Jesus isn't saying is, you know, not to use the, the term rabbi, but in this format, what, what they are asking people to call them is master. Actually, doctor. They're looking to be elevated even above just a simple teacher. Oh, I want the position of, it's called the great one, is a way to interpret that, the supreme one. Rabbi, that's how you address me. Some in the Sanhedrin would desire to be called father. Father so-and-so. Not in the sense of, you know, like, hey, I'm your spiritual father. Like some of us, you know, have spiritual kids in the church because somebody that we poured into and maybe we led to the Lord and they're our spiritual children. That's symbolic and all of that. They literally were saying, I want, to you, you want, I want you to look to me as the supreme guide of Israel. So you call me Father. Now, Jesus says here, maybe some of the, uh, you know, maybe there's a particular uh, bent of Christianity that needs to read this again because it says that you ought to call no one father. And yet they will say that, well, he didn't mean that. You know, he didn't mean that you weren't supposed to call any man father. Of course, he means, you know, those ones, but not us. No, I, I think he really means that we're not called to call anybody father. Unless you're a literal father, then that's okay. Like, I'm a father. If somebody says, hey, Hey, Father Tim, well, you can call me Tim. I am a father, but, you know, uh, <laughs> not Father Tim. I don't like that. That won't work for me. They wanted to be honored is the point. They wanted to be called instructor. They wanted to be lifted up. Jesus would tell them, man, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted true spiritual leaders, people that are really following Jesus, they let Jesus do the exalting. They don't try and be exalted. They don't look to be exalted. They let Jesus do the exalting. And it doesn't matter what circle of life you live in. That means in your job, you let Jesus do the exalting. When people say, man, you're really good at your job, you say, praise God that he gave me the ability to do what I'm doing. You let Jesus do the exalting. You're so good at your job, we're going to give you that. Praise the Lord. It's all from Him. And you give Him the honor. You stay humble. Don't ever think it's about you, ever, in any aspect of this life. It is not. 
Everything that we do is a result of, of the equipping, of the power, of the gifting that Jesus Christ has given us through the Spirit of God. Don't forget that. Jesus gives the warning on the walking dead. Now he goes to the woes of the walking dead. Uh, you know, when, when he says woe, it's a term of, of, uh, of conveying judgment to come. It's not a, a, a term of endearment. It's something that you want to be, you don't ever want to hear from Jesus. But with the woe also comes a breaking heart, I believe. When Jesus was saying woe to them, like sometimes when we say woe, we really want people to pay for what they did, right? We're like, woe to you. You're going to answer for that. And in your heart, there is anger and ha hatred towards them. When Jesus says woe, he says it with, uh, with an unconditional love towards a person that he loves dearly, that he desires to, to turn the, over the leaf. And yet he's saying there's judgment coming for you. You know, the, the breaking of his heart to say the kind of things that he says, and we'll see it at the end here, how bad his heart was breaking for these people. We begin with the woe for leading people astray, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Second woe here, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. The first two woes here are related to the scribes and the Pharisees leading people astray. They had literally shut the, the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces by making it impossible for them to achieve it, by getting them sidetracked on relig religiosity and not on practicing relationship through sacrifice. It was a sad thing. God said, you're shutting the door on the people. You've, you've made the traditions of man more important than God's word, and therefore you're shutting the door on people. Uh, you know, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? By the word of God, right? And so when people stop bringing the word, they shut the door of heaven. Because it's impossible to, to come to God, um, you know, by anything other than faith. It's by grace, Jesus Christ, through faith, believing in the cross, his crucifixion, his resurrection, you're saved. You shut the, the doors of heaven when you stop speaking the word of God. Because faith can't be built up with the word of God. This is not wishful thinking kind of faith. This is a sure thing it's going to happen because God's word says it. Now, there are churches today, I cannot believe they call themselves churches that you don't open your Bible ever. You never open your Bible. Ever. Listen to me. The kingdom is being shut. The kingdom of heaven is being shut in places like that because the word of God is not going forth. Where is the power unto salvation? It's in the gospel. Paul said that in, first, uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. People are shutting the doors of heaven by not bringing, not, you know, not bringing the, the word and also watering down the gospel in our day and age and making it about this just this little ticket, this little prayer that you pray, no turning over of the life, no abandoning the life of the world, but I am just have this form of godliness, but I deny the power of salvation because I'm not coming in the right way. I'm not coming by faith. Jesus is saying, woe to you, 
They will stand. Listen, that's why it says, don't, don't, many of you don't become teachers lest you endure a stricter wrath. Why? Because you're going to be accountable for the people that sat under you or the people that you're discipling. And not just pastors. I'm talking everybody. Like when you go into your um, workplace and you're sharing with people the word of God, you're accountable to what you shared. They're accountable to what you shared to them as well. I don't ever want to hear Jesus say, man, you shut the doors of heaven on people. You shut the doors of heaven. Stick to the word. Listen, you don't have to make the gospel any more powerful than it already is. You can't make it any more powerful than it already is. Just bring the word. Let it do its work. He says, woe to you hypocrites, man. You forsake the people right outside your door to, dry, to, to travel across the seas to lead one proselyte to convert one, one person that's not a Jew to Judaism, and then you lead them to hell on an express train, the same one you're going on except for there in the front because they're twice as much going to hell as you are because they're following man's tradition and they have also been locked out of heaven. Man, that is heavy stuff. And religious people are doing this even today. There are, 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 are strikes going on and picket lines and all these kind of things that are misrepresenting God and they're shutting the doors of heaven to people because of the way that they present God. Preach the gospel. And live it out. The religious leaders were not only leading people astray in their hypocrisy, but they were also spiritual blind to their swearing. Look at verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. <laughs> you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by um, him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. The third woe is relating to uh, the oaths the religious leaders were making. They were not keeping their word. Pretty simple. They were making oaths, and then they were not keeping them, and then they would make loopholes to get out of what they said. We kind of do the same thing, you know, the, oh, look, my fingers were crossed. I am not bound to do what I said I was going to do because my fingers were crossed, man suckers, you know. No, that's, that's what they were doing. They were doing that. They were swearing and then they were saying, hey, uh, you know, remember you, you said you were going to do that. You're, you didn't do it. And then he, yeah, but, but man, you would have really had me if I would have swore by the gold on the temple, but I didn't. You would have really had me if you would have sworn, if I would have sworn by the gift on the altar, but man, I did not. Therefore, I am off scot-free. How do you like them apples? Listen, Jesus just goes, let me clear it all up for you. Whatever you say, you better do because you're accountable to it. Don't lie. Don't make oaths. Now, this is, don't swear. 
Don't swear on anything that's God. Listen, I'll tell you what. When people start to say, I swear, I get nervous. Right? When I go into my kid's room and I'm like, who did it? When I hear the words, Dad, I swear I didn't do it. I'm like, you did it. You did it right there. Because You know why? You know why? Because here's the thing is, <laughs> they're trying to cover up, man. They're trying to make their word weightier, trying to make their word more believable by swearing. Man, you're making yourself more guilty. The next time somebody says, I swear, you're going to go, uh, I don't know, that's making me nervous, man. If you really are going to do what you say, you shouldn't have to swear. You shouldn't have to make an oath. If you're really going to follow through, if you keep your word, you won't really have to do those kind of things. Jesus would go on to say, don't even swear. But if you do, you better keep it because you're accountable to God for it. And so it's this swearing business they were into. They were being hypocritical. They were blinded. They were thinking that they were making loopholes, and yet they're still accountable to God for all the things that they're doing. The next, we find that the, 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 the next woe is a woe of lack of mercy. Look at verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The fourth woe points to the scribes and Pharisees' hypocrisy regarding their lack of mercy. They were really meticulous about keeping, you know, these, these small laws of like taking these herbal, in, these herbs, garden herbs, you know, to just little fine amounts. They made sure they tied their 10%, and they're really meticulous about it, and they, they made sure that when they were drinking their wine, man, that they strained it, made sure there was no gnats in it or anything, because gnats are unclean in, insects, you know. And so they were really meticulous about everything they're doing, and yet they were lacking in, in the major points of the law, which was justice, mercy, and faithfulness. <laughs> they were lacking in, the, in these huge things, and so therefore Jesus says, you're straining out a gnat, but you're swallowing a camel. You know, camels were unclean too. Jesus says, you're, just, you're not just ki kind of unclean. Like, you're really unclean. Like, in your effort to be clean, you were so unclean, it's unbelievable. In your effort to be righteous, man, you were so unrighteous. You're not keeping the law the way that you should. You're neglecting the big matters of the law, the, the weightier things for these small things that absolutely are, you know, they're fine to do, but, you know, you're making it all about that, and you're missing the bigger picture. And boy, can we do that. We can do that, even in the church, man. You know, and, and there is this movement in the church today that wants to make it all about, you know, um, benevolence and, you know, uh, go out and humanitarian efforts and all this kind of stuff in the church. And, and yet, that's, that's, to be, that's to go kind of to the point of what these guys are doing. Well, Jesus said, you know, that, that they abandoned the whole Word of God thing, and they're just like, hey, we just got to love people, and so we're going to go love on people and do things for them, but they don't bring the Word. You don't bring the Word, you're not changing anything. You might, be chained, you might be showing people a little love, but you're not showing them enough love because love speaks the truth. We speak the truth. We bring the word. The word does its job. It brings people to repentance, and then they get saved. That is love. 
that is love. And so we don't neglect those things as Christians, you know. Sometimes I'm telling you, um, you know, you, you would all probably agree that, you know, there's many, many people you've passed on the street that wanted something from you. And all of a sudden you have this hardness in your heart. You're like, I'm not giving that person. They look like they could work. I mean, why don't you go get a job or something, man? And, uh, you know, and yet there already is a stigma, hardness in your heart. You know what we should be doing? Lord, how can I help this person? What can I give them? I can bring the word. I can give them something. If they don't want to hear the word, then that's fine. But if they want help, I'll help them. But I'm first going to bring the word to them because that's the only help for them. Right? And then if the Lord would lay on my heart to give them something, then I would. What I'm saying is, is we can't neglect being merciful to people that we cross on the street and, and, and walk into our church doors thinking we're serving Jesus. We have to, and also we can't just abandon the church and go out into the world and, and, and not bring the word to people. There's a balance. And that's what Jesus is saying. Do it all, but do it in balance. And do it with the right heart. Don't neglect mercy. Fifthly, the woe of internal cleanness. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. The religious leaders were we're, we're playing the part outwardly, but Jesus says inwardly they were totally unclean. They would make sure that they would follow everything externally, but they would not focus on the heart at all. There was no heart connection to what they were doing. That's why Jesus said, you draw near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Because you're not checking your heart. Jesus says, if you want to serve me right... You serve me from the inside out, not the outside in, right? We, we serve him from our heart and from, you know, the Bible tells us, be diligent with your heart for out of it spring the issues of life. And so it's from the heart that everything comes out. Jesus is telling these Pharisees, you got it all wrong. You're trying to, you, you've cleaned yourself up. You have, this, you have this perception, this persona of godliness, and yet inside you are totally not godly. And in fact, if you read the book of Ezekiel, you'll see what he means. He, 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 he goes inside the minds of the religious leaders and it is just, it is abomination. Inside they are so unclean, so abominable. And yet outside they had this appearance of being holy. We have to address the internal issues. God is not just simply looking for external obedience, church. He's looking for inward change. He doesn't just want us to to, to, to follow his footsteps externally, but he wants us to follow his footsteps internally. And if you do that, the external will change. That's what he's telling them. Number six, the, the woe of spiritual deadness, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Here are people that believe that they're, they're coming to God lawfully. Oh, we're lawful. We do everything lawfully. Never would I step outside of the bounds of being lawful. Jesus says, man, you're lawless. You're lawless. <laughs> you're not lawful. You're lawless. 
Man, those are fighting words in the synagogue. The prize Jesus didn't get beat up right here. If he would have, he would have perceived and he would have slipped out because that's what he did. He ducked and weaved, man. But here's the thing. They were full of hypocrisy. They were like whitewashed tombs. They would, back in this day and age, they would whitewash the cemeteries, the tombstones, so that when you were a Jew, you wouldn't accidentally walk into a cemetery and then make yourself unclean. So they made them very bright so you could see them from a distance. Oh, there's a cemetery over there. I don't want to go in there. And yet in that cemetery, under those whitewashed tombs were dead bones. And Jesus said, man, that is a perfect picture of you. You know, on the Temple Mount, there's a, um, today in Jerusalem, right behind it on the Mount of Olives, there's a huge cemetery. <laughs> I wonder if he wasn't on the, the Temple Mount just saying, you're like that. You're like that right there. You're whitewashed tombs. You're dead inside. You're spiritually dead, man. These people thought they were righteous. Jesus says, you're unrighteous. They thought they were alive. Jesus says that, no, you're dead. You're dead. And how many people are deceived in this day and age? They have the appearance, but inside they're dead. Listen, you are dead without Jesus. The Word of God says that when we are born again, we are to now walk in newness of life. Jesus said, I come to, to give life and that abundantly. Why? Because we're dead. We need life. He came to bring it, but it's only through him. There is no self-righteousness. Woe number seven. And the final woe here, woe of the murderer. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not uh, taken part with them in shedding the bloods of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murder the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you uh, murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. You know what? You can, when you come to a word you don't understand the Bible, you just say it really fast and you move past it, and then you're just like, yeah, I did it. Cool. So anyway, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, listen, they were so wrapped up in their hypocrisy that they were totally believed that if they were alive during the times of their fathers that they would not have killed them. Jesus is like, are you kidding me? You're trying to kill me. You're trying to kill me. I'm the prophet spoken of by Moses. The prophet. You're trying to kill me. You will kill my disciples when they come to you. You will kill and you will be accountable for the blood of Abel all the way up through the prophets. All of them you will be accountable for because you have the same heart. You're murderers. You're murderers. Why? Because they were trying to live this external life with no heart connection. That's why. Listen, you can do all the external stuff you want. And, and if there is no willingness to bring it internal, you will not change. 
and you'll be the same person, except for it's even more dangerous than that. You'll think you'll have something that you don't. You think you'll have salvation when you don't. Because of these external things that you're doing, and you know, you're, look at me, I'm doing pretty good, you know, I'm, I'm not doing those things anymore, and all that kind of stuff, and yet you're not in relationship with Christ. Nothing has changed internally. You're just, you're just abiding in some kind of obedience externally. And, and Jesus is going to say, you're dead inside, you're a murderer, and you're accountable for the law. The judgment that will come down on Israel is, is several-fold. It's, it's not just one thing. It's, it's, the, it's the judgment of um, the Romans coming into Israel at 70 AD when they just ransacked, kicked the Jews out of their land so they had no land. They're the only country that, uh, only people, um, you know, a nation without a country for thousands of years until May 14, 1948, when God made them a nation again. All the plan of God, but he said, judgment's coming down on you. Not only that, but they will also one day stand before the Lord. That's right, as Jews at the great white throne judgment. And they will stand and be judged for the blood that they spilt on behalf of the religious system that they propagated. And they will be sentenced to hell because they weren't in relationship with God. They had a form of godliness, but they deny his power. Woe, right? Woe. So we see the warnings and the woes. Lastly, we see the Savior's heart for the walking dead. Look at verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and, the st and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you, gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under his wing. But you were not willing. See your houses left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until... You say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God's plan for these people was a plan of peace and prosperity. And yet the plan that they chose was one of enmity and spiritual poverty. They chose the latter. They chose death over life. They had everything they needed. He gave them everything they needed in order to understand how they were to come to him, and yet they did not come to him in that way. And so they will stand before him in judgment. And that grieves Jesus. He is grieving over the city of Jerusalem. Uh, during this time, it's Tuesday of Passion Week still. There's millions of people in Jerusalem at this point. He's grieving over this people. He's already done it once, remember, in the, as he's the triumphal entry of Jesus? Just a couple days before. He's saying it again because his heart is grieving for the lost. I don't know if the lost breaks your heart or not. So oftentimes I'm so wrapped up in my world, I forget about there's people that don't know Jesus. And they're lost, and that breaks his heart. So therefore, that should break your heart. That should break my heart. You were lost once, but you've been found as a result of somebody bringing the gospel to you, beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You're those beautiful feet, man. Jesus sent you. He, he rose you up in this day and age. He called you to live in this generation. Listen, he understood what America was going to look like. He understood that we would be in a postmodern America in this day and age, and he sent you. Fulfill your role. 
break, may your heart break as Jesus' heart breaks for these people, not just for the religious man, but for those that are completely and totally, living totally contrary to the Lord. May it break our hearts. May we also seek him in the same manner that they are, by faith, desiring to know him more, man. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, and for, Lord, for warning us over and over again, reminding us of the need for relationship. And this morning, God, we want to come before you honestly, and we want to just say, Lord, we're, forgive us for our hypocrisy. Forgive us, Lord, for not living up in the manner that you've called us to, Father. And I pray that even now you would uh, just to, just quicken our hearts, Lord, to live more for you. Father, we pray for the conviction maybe even in, in our heart of some of the things that you've revealed that we need to deal with today and that we wouldn't run out of the doors here and just, you know, forget about what, what it is that you're doing in our hearts even now. God, may we just take a moment to reflect on who you are. Lord, we know that your heart is for the lost. So I'd be amiss even now if I didn't come and just say, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you need a relationship with him, all you got to do is open up your heart to him this morning. He wants to forgive you. He wants to uh, bring life to you this morning because you were dead. You just turn away from the life that you're living now and you turn to him. It's called repentance. It's a turning away and it's a confessing of your sin. And you do that through prayer. The Lord would just have you to say something along these lines. Father, forgive me. I have sinned gravely. And I'm turning away from my life now. I'm turning to you, God. I want a new life. I want to walk in newness of life. I don't want to be dead. Forgive me of my sin, Lord. I receive you today as my Lord and my Savior. I'm turning the keys of my life over to you today. I believe that you died, you rose again from the dead for me, and I'm placing my faith in you right now. And I thank you for making me a Christian. Strengthen me now and help me to walk the life that you've called me to. And if you pray a prayer like that, Jesus is telling you this morning that you are welcomed into his kingdom. So as we close here tonight, or this morning as we close with a song, we want to just give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to just speak into our lives. Father, we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.